very much, uh, Sienna, for reading it for us. And if you'd like to keep that uh, passage open in front of you, that would be uh, wonderful. Uh, may I pray for us as we come to, uh, to look at it? John says, at the start of his gospel, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this Word became flesh and lived among us. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that you are indeed a speaking God. You have spoken to us uh, through your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, the living Word. Uh, And we pray that as we uh, encounter him in your written Word, uh, we may come to uh, see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. For his sake we pray. Amen. Uh, The 24th of July, 1963, was a uh, momentous day in the life of one uh, particular American schoolboy. He'd been selected from among uh, many uh, children uh, to attend an event for uh, school children at the White House. Uh, And uh, part of that uh, uh, event was a chance to meet the then President of the uh, United States, uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, he did so. He uh, went uh, and uh, went to, attended the event. And the direction of his life uh, was completely changed. Uh, he wrote about it uh, some time later. Uh, and he said that previously, up to that point, he'd wanted to be a jazz musician. He'd played a bit of uh, music, thought that was uh, quite a cool thing to do, be the next Stan Getz, something like that. If that didn't work out, he thought he'd be a doctor. Seems a good thing to do, and it is, no doubt. But after meeting Kennedy, both of those things faded into the distance. His life was changed, and he wanted uh, to serve the public. His name? William Jefferson Clinton, best known as Bill Clinton, I guess, to most of us. Uh, Bill Clinton looks back on that moment, that day, 24th of July, 1963, as possibly the most significant day of his life, the start of his own journey uh, to the White House. Uh, And this term, at the 6.30 service, we're going to be uh, looking at at St. John's Gospel. Uh, And specifically in St. John's Gospel, we're looking at people who have had a life-changing encounter. Not with a president, as Bill Clinton's was, but with a saviour, with the Lord Jesus. Uh, They come from many different backgrounds, many different people, different circumstances, uh, different issues. And yet each one of them found that an encounter with Jesus completely transformed their life, and they could never be uh, the same again. And tonight we're going to look at the very first people to encounter Jesus uh, and see how their lives were indeed completely transformed uh, by him. Uh, St. John shows us how Jesus, the promised Messiah, the anointed one of God, uh, has come to his people And not only has he come, but he calls them to follow him. Uh, But before we get to to Jesus, uh, John introduces us to another figure who we've just uh, heard about a little bit from Jonathan. Uh, His name is John the Baptist, and his job is to point uh, to Jesus, who is to come. So let's look first at uh, the message of John the Baptist, which I've summarised. We can have the next uh, slide, uh, please, uh, Barry. And look at Jesus and follow him. The message of John the Baptist, look at Jesus and follow him. Uh, Verse uh, 35. Uh, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, 
the Lamb of God. Uh, the other week, Claire and I went to the Lake District, and uh, we had an encounter, as is quite common on um, uh, narrow Lake District roads, of uh, a car coming the other way. It wasn't really a car. It was a um, motorcyclist uh, dispatch rider who told us to pull over. Uh, it was a bit surprising. Don't expect that to, to happen every, uh, every day, but it, we pulled over. It soon became clear why we needed to pull over. Uh, round the corner was coming one of these holiday homes on the back of a, a low, uh, loader tr- um, truck. I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the lane was incredibly narrow, so you can imagine what this was like. It was basically taking up all of the lane. If we hadn't listened to the dispatch rider, we would have got uh, squished, no doubt about it. Um, the dispatch rider was tasked with going ahead of the low loader to prepare the way, to clear uh, the way for the coming of the lorry. And really, like the dispatch rider, John the Baptist's task is to go ahead of the Lord Jesus and also to prepare the way for his coming. Uh, we don't know much about him. Uh, he was a cousin of Jesus, we're told. Um, his father was a, a priest. He was a son of the manse, if you like to put it like that. Uh, he was sent by God to witness uh, to Jesus, uh, to witness that all might believe in him, John says right at the start of his gospel. Uh, He was the last of the prophets. He was the link, I guess, between uh, the Old Testament and the New. He was that figure in the middle, the last of the prophets, pointing ahead to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Uh, In times past, in history, uh, it's very common for a king to send out a herald uh, before he arrived at a town to inform people that he was coming uh, to get ready for him. And when the herald would come to uh, a town, uh, he would make sure that he announced the coming of the king uh, in as grand terms as possible. You know, he would lay on uh, with a thick uh, trowel uh, all the, uh, the, the titles of his master uh, in order that everyone would know that the king is coming. Well, John the Baptist is announcing a king. And yet his description of Jesus is very, very different to what we might expect him to announce of a king. There's one phrase in particular that he emphasizes for us. Verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He's actually already used that phrase. If you look back to verse 29, he says again, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Clearly for John, this was a significant title, the Lamb of God. He's calling Jesus the Lamb of God. And I think if it's significant, it's worth spending um, some time on it, thinking about what it means. What would John have been meaning by saying that? What does it mean uh, for us? Uh, Lots of scholars have spent a long time analysing John's words. Uh, There are many possible pictures that he could have had in mind. I just want to focus on three uh, briefly over the next uh, few minutes that he might have thought about. Uh, In chapter 2, reading on in uh, John's Gospel, uh, we're told that it was near the time of the Passover, that great festival that celebrated God's rescue of uh, the Jewish people uh, from slavery in uh, in Egypt. You can read about that in uh, in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, And the Bible tells us that on the night uh, that uh, the Israelites left Egypt, God instructed them to paint a cross on the doors of their homes in the blood of a lamb. It was a sign that uh, uh, the angel of death, God's judgment on Egypt, should pass over uh, God's faithful people. 
should see the sign and uh, pass over onto the next uh, house. It was a sign, save them from God's judgment of death. And I wonder if in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, uh, John is looking back to that event, that uh, seminal event in the life of God's people. He is saying that Jesus is the one whose death will win for God's people deliverance from judgment and death. Uh, The Bible explains for us that all of us have turned our back on God. We've rebelled against him. And because of that, God's just sentence is death. Uh, But by dying on our behalf, Jesus, the Lamb of God, provides deliverance from that sentence, that sentence that is right and fair, that hangs over every single one of us. And in doing so, he delivers us from death. He is our Passover lamb. St. Paul said, talked about Jesus, described him in those terms in uh, 1 Corinthians. He is the, the lamb who died for us in order that we might be delivered uh, from the sentence of death and from God's judgment. First picture. Uh, Jesus, the Passover lamb. Well, we've said, haven't we, that John uh, was the son of a, uh, the priest, son of a priest. Uh, and the second possible picture, I think, is one that uh, he would have been familiar from his very, very earliest years. Uh, every morning and every evening, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple uh, for the sins of the people. If you want to read more about the background, so you can read about it in Exodus uh, chapter 29. For as long as the temple stood, uh, this daily sacrifice uh, was made. Uh, nothing could interfere with it. Even in times of war or times of famine, uh, it still went on. In fact, it went on until the temple uh, was uh, finally destroyed in uh, AD 70. Uh, If an individual knew that they had sinned, they knew that they had done wrong against God, uh, they would bring a lamb for sacrifice. Uh, They would come, they'd bring it to the priest, bring it to the altar. Uh, They would put their hand on the lamb and confess their sin over it. And symbolically, the sin of the individual would be transferred from then onto this lamb, this, to all intents and purposes, innocent uh, animal. And it would be killed, killed for uh, the, uh, the person uh, who had brought it. And forgiveness would be declared for that individual. Of course, it's a picture. It's symbolic. It didn't really take away sin. It was a picture pointing ahead to the Lord Jesus, uh, to that day when God would finally deal with sin through the death of his son. So in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, I wonder if John is looking at that, looking in that direction, looking at the picture of the temple sacrifices. He is saying that Jesus is this perfect sacrifice for sin who will deal with all the sin that has been committed in a way that the lambs could never do. But Jesus can. He's the one who on the cross will die as the lamb for our forgiveness. Our sin is placed on him. He becomes our scapegoat, if we want to put it like that. He is the innocent lamb who dies on behalf of us. John was a a Jew. He would have known the Old Testament uh, back to front, I'm sure. Uh, And there's one more picture that I think he might have seen. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. We've uh, been looking at Isaiah over the last um, term, so familiar ground for for many of us. But it's worth turning here. This is another picture that I think John might have seen. 
Uh, Isaiah 53 is um, perhaps one of the most well-known chapters, certainly of the Old Testament, not the, the whole Bible. Uh, one of the most important of the Old Testament prophets, prophetic writings. And right at the heart of this chapter, uh, the, the prophet is describing how the suffering servant, God's, uh, God's servant, uh, will come, he will suffer and he will die uh, for the sins of the world. Uh, we can see, can't we, um, verse uh, 5 of chapter 53, Isaiah, uh, page 740. Uh, he, the suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds uh, we are healed. Uh, he is, in some sense, taking on himself our sin. And yes, if we read a little further down to uh, verse 7, uh, at the heart of this picture is a picture of the servant as a lamb. Do you see that? Verse 7, uh, Isaiah writes, He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silenced, so he did not open his mouth. Can you see what John's doing? In calling Jesus the Lamb of God, he is making a link with the suffering servant of Isaiah. He's saying that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the fulfillment of this promise that Isaiah gave all those years ago. Uh, He is the one who will die for the sins of the world as Isaiah promised. He is the one who will be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, or it will be upon him, as he looks forward uh, to the cross. He will be led like a lamb to the slaughter, an innocent lamb carried off uh, for sacrifice, not protesting, going voluntarily, willingly to the cross, to his death, for you, for me, for the world. Such a message demands a response. And we see, don't we, back in uh, John's uh, Gospel, chapter uh, 1, how immediately two of John's disciples uh, turn and follow Jesus. Uh, verse uh, 20, uh, 37, if you're with me back in uh, John chapter 1, John writes, uh, When the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Uh, turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? Uh, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Uh, These disciples became convinced of the truth of John's words, that Jesus was truly the Lamb of God. And more than that, as we read on down this chapter, we see that they realize that not only must they meet him, but others uh, must meet him too. Uh, Andrew, we read verse uh, 40, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two, who heard uh, what John had said, they followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. They recognized Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He was the one whom Isaiah, who all the prophets who the law had spoken of, he was here uh, for his people. He will die to save his people from their sins and to bring them life. It would have been pretty foolish of me to ignore uh, that uh, motorcyclist's uh, instructions to me. But how much more foolish to ignore the warning, the words 
the message of John the Baptist. Uh, I don't know where you're at uh, this evening. Perhaps for you, Jesus is um, simply a figure from history. He existed, there's no doubt about that. No serious historian would doubt that, I don't think. Uh, But for you, he's just a figure of history. Perhaps he was a wise teacher, a bit like Socrates or uh, somebody like that. Maybe he was a failed revolutionary, tried to start something but it didn't really work. And yet, John's message uh, for all of us, for the whole world, is that supremely he's none of those things. He is the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah. He alone can deal with the stain of sin and grant us peace with God. And like Andrew, and like his friend, he calls us to follow him. He calls us to come and see, to put our lives in his hands. And the question for all of us is, will we accept his offer? Will we do that? Will we come and see? Will we look at Jesus? And will we follow him? Well, let's move on, shall we, uh, to the next uh, half of our uh, passage and look more uh, briefly at the message of Jesus, which I've summarized as, follow me and you will see. Uh, So far, the focus has been on John the Baptist. He's been preparing the way for the coming uh, of Jesus. And now we see that Jesus himself takes uh, centre stage. Uh, He reveals his identity. And he continues to call people uh, to follow him. Uh, There are two individuals in particular who are seen to respond to Jesus. And I want to just take a very brief look at um, uh, at each of them in turn. Uh, The first of the disciples to follow Jesus, uh, is Philip, uh, verse uh, uh, 43. The next day Jesus decides to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, "Uh, follow me. Uh, We don't know much about uh, Philip at all. Uh, We're not told exactly how or why Jesus went uh, in search of him. Uh, But it's interesting, isn't it, that he is the first disciple that Jesus personally calls, Andrew and his friend, and uh, Peter, uh, were, were called, I guess, of their own accord. They, uh, they decided to follow uh, Jesus seemingly of themselves. And yet Jesus goes out uh, to find Philip. We don't know much about Philip. But it doesn't really matter, because what does matter is that Philip had an encounter with Jesus that left him, left him both convinced and committed. He was convinced that Jesus was the one of whom the prophets and the law spoke. Uh, Verse 45, he goes and finds his friend Nathanael, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh, He is convinced that truly all the Old Testament was pointing to this man. This is the one that we've been waiting for, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's committed. He realizes that if this is so, then he needs to follow him. And he needs to invite others uh, to him. I guess most of us can probably think of a time uh, when we've had news uh, that we have been bursting to share with somebody. Maybe it was news of exam results or a driving test that had gone well. Or maybe it was, uh, I don't know, an engagement. Or uh, perhaps we've had a birthday present. We've bought a birthday present for somebody and you just can't wait uh, to give it to them. You know when you're absolutely bursting uh, to tell somebody. Uh, Philip had discovered that the saviour of the world had arrived the one whom all the Jewish people had been looking forward to. No wonder he was so excited uh, to tell his friend uh, Nathaniel. We don't know much about Nathaniel either. That's a bit of a common theme here, isn't it, from uh, John's Gospel. Uh, We don't know how he knew Philip. We don't really know anything of his background. Uh, But we are told a little bit about him. 
Uh, We're told by uh, Jesus himself uh, in uh, verse 48 uh, that Jesus had seen him sitting under a fig tree before Philip called him. That was the circumstances in which uh, Philip had found him. Uh, It was the custom of uh, devout and uh, sort of thinking Jews uh, to spend many hours under fig trees. It was one of those places which was known for where you could get peace and quiet. Uh, To sit there and to uh, study the scriptures and to pray. But the fact that Jesus describes Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree strongly suggests that he was somebody who was pretty devout. He spent hours, potentially, thinking through the scriptures, reading, praying, meditating on them. Uh, we certainly know that he was a bit of a skeptic. Uh, when Philip came to, uh, to find him, uh, he's pretty um, unenthusiastic, shall we say, about his news. Uh, what does he say in uh, verse 46? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Uh, The Old Testament doesn't really say much about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. It was a pretty ordinary place, not a very uh, big or impressive uh, town. Uh, And as Nathaniel came from Cana, he probably uh, wasn't particularly fond of it. It's a little bit like uh, the relationship between Norwich and Ipswich. Uh, We could imagine here if uh, somebody came to us and said that the Messiah was from Ipswich, and we would go, rubbish, can anything good come out of Ipswich? Apologies if you're from uh, Ipswich. Similar kind of dynamic, I guess. And yet, Philip doesn't engage in argument with him. He doesn't say, no, you're talking rubbish. He just says, come, come and see, come and see for yourself. Verse 46. We don't know either what prompted Nathaniel to come and listen to Philip. We'll never know. And yet, what happened to him next uh, was to leave his life changed forever. Uh, He approaches Jesus, uh, verse 47. And as he approaches him, he discovers somebody who knows him to a depth that can only be from God. Verse uh, 47. Uh, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Uh, To be described as one in whom there was nothing false, there was no deceit, uh, was a a tribute of which any Jew would be very, very proud. Uh, Back in uh, the Psalms, it was said in Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Jesus recognized in Nathanael a man who was genuinely searching for the truth. Uh, He didn't care how strange it might seem didn't care how weird it was, didn't care how long it was going to take him to find it, even if it was coming uh, from Nazareth. He was concerned about the truth. He'd spent hours searching the scriptures to discover the Messiah, praying over what he'd read, thinking about it, mulling it over. Those hours weren't in vain. They weren't a waste of time. They hadn't gone unnoticed. His reward was a meeting with Jesus himself, the one whom he thought about, he must have read and pondered in his heart many, many times. That search for truth for Nathaniel is over. And yet wonderful as this is, this meeting with Jesus, Jesus promises that there's even more. He says that to Nathaniel, that for those who follow him, there are even greater things in store. Verse uh, uh, 50. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. 
but you shall see greater things than these. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, right back in uh, Genesis, God had promised to Abraham and Jacob uh, that uh, through their offspring all nations would be blessed. Uh, and to Jacob, God had confirmed it uh, with this dream of a golden ladder coming down um, from heaven uh, to touch earth. What was a distant promise to Abraham and to Jacob? Jesus says is now a reality for Nathaniel and for those who uh, believe in him. Jesus, the Son of Man, God's promised King, is here. Heaven touches earth. Through him lies the path to heaven, the path to life. Jesus will later say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, just as John has said already in the start of his gospel. He's the word made flesh. We have two very different individuals in the second half of the uh, chapter. One is Philip, perhaps a bit of a plodder, uh, maybe not the most switched-on guy in the world. Still, Jesus called him. The other one is Nathaniel, a bit of a sceptic, thinks himself a bit of a thinker, uh, maybe pretty religious, don't know. Uh, Two very different individuals, and yet united in an encounter with the same man that left them completely transformed. Both of them convinced of his identity, convinced that he was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the promised King, and then committed to his mission. I said all of us are going to be in very different uh, places this evening. Uh, There'll be some of us who are already followers of Jesus. We've been followers of Jesus for many, many years. All this is very, very familiar to us. Uh, There'll be some of us who won't be in that situation. There'll be some of us who are still searching uh, for why we're here. Who is this Jesus guy that these Christians are thinking about? What is my life about? What does Jesus have anything to say to me in my life at the moment? Uh, Some of us won't have even started that. We'll still be uh, a long way away from that. Some of us will be uh, maybe plodders like Philip. Some of us will be bright guys uh, like Nathaniel. Different people. And yet to each one of us, the promise is the same. Uh, Jesus promises heaven itself. If only we will come to him. If only we will trust him. Acknowledge that he is the Lamb of God. The Saviour of whom all the prophets and the law bore witness. Uh, For some, tonight will be a night to respond to that like the disciples. It will be, you've recognised that this is Jesus. Jesus is the one uh, who God has promised. He is the saviour. For others, uh, more time uh, will be needed. Uh, And I wonder if I may just give advance notice at this point. Uh, We've run Alpha uh, in uh, times past. Uh, We're running Alpha again uh, in October, uh, coming up very, very soon. Uh, Alpha is a wonderful opportunity uh, to think through uh, the claims of the Lord Jesus, to explore whether Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and to think about uh, what that might mean for us. It's, uh, it's completely free, it's uh, completely unpressured, it's a great opportunity to start exploring uh, who Jesus is, what it means uh, to follow him. Uh, if you're still exploring, if you put yourself in that category, if you're a bit unsure about things, you'd like to think about things more, then do come along. Speak to me if you'd like to come. We'd love to invite you, uh, tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, that would be great. 
And do keep coming back on Sunday evenings as we look through John's Gospel, uh, as we see uh, these different people, different uh, individuals, each one transformed uh, by Jesus and encounter uh, with him. Let's draw things uh, uh, together, uh, shall we? Uh, Thomas Huxley was perhaps the most famous uh, religious sceptic of the Victorian era. He was well known for uh, writing against uh, religion. Uh, one weekend, towards right at the end of his life, uh, he was a uh, member of a uh, house party. He'd gone to stay with uh, some friends on a large uh, country house somewhere. Uh, one of the party he'd been invited was a man who was known for his uh, radiant Christian faith. Uh, it wasn't the brightest of guys, but he was known as a follower of Jesus. Uh, one evening after dinner, Huxley asked him, why? How had he come to know Jesus? What, what was it about Jesus that convinced him? And what difference had it made to him? Huxley's friend was a little bit um, uneasy about this. He knew that he wasn't a great brain. He couldn't come up with any killer arguments. Uh, Huxley said, don't, don't worry, don't, I don't care about it. I don't want to argue with you, I just want to hear your story. So he said, he spoke of how he'd become convinced that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He died uh, for us on the cross. He died in our place. Uh, and how that had given him peace, both now, peace of sins forgiven, but peace for the future. He knew where he was going to be, life with Jesus. Uh, and it's said that when he'd finished his testimony, uh, there were tears in Huxley's eyes. And Huxley said to him, I- I'd give anything if only I could believe that like you. Uh, sadly, it's not recorded whether Huxley ever did come to trust Christ for himself. We don't know. Uh, we pray and hope that he might have done. Uh, but it is clear that an encounter with Jesus never leaves somebody uh, unchanged and untouched. And to each of us, Uh, Whatever our situation, Jesus invites us to come and see, to come and find forgiveness, to come and find healing and peace that only he can provide as the Messiah. Let's pray, shall we, that each one of us would respond to him in the way that we should. Let's uh, pray. Lord Jesus, you do say, come and see. And we thank you that in your word we do see that truly you are the Messiah. You are the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. You take away our sin. You take away the sin of all who have ever lived, whoever will live. And we pray that as we uh, look at your word, we would come to you. Come to you tonight. Come to you. Find forgiveness. uh, Find peace. Uh, Thank you that you accept us just as we are. And we pray. Uh, that as we look through John's Gospel over the next few weeks, you would reveal more and more of us, and more of more of you to us, and we would follow you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.